uh, the YouTube video podcast recordings and other information following up. Thank you again. All right, I'll start in, and admit attendees and then Dave, you can start in five, four, three, two, one. Mayor-elect Dyer, it is nice to meet you and welcome to the esteemed uh, family of, of big city mayors in California. I look forward to working with you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Libby. I appreciate it. Good. We're just waiting for the room to fill up and then we'll get started. Welcome Mayor Schaaf, how are you? Hey, Robert. Mwah. Mwah. Love you. you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I actually met you one time in Washington, D.C. I think we were at some type of an event for youth. I can't remember what it was, but uh, we were in an auditorium together when I was a police chief for Fresno, so in another life. Was it, was it around the 21st century policing yeah, uh, yeah. work? Was I, was I there with Chief Went? I, yes, yes. Yeah. That, that's exactly what I presented on at one of the panels, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's obviously that work is more important than ever right now, so. Your memory is better than mine. <laughs> Great. Well, welcome everybody and thank you. There's still a couple joining us, but uh, why don't we get started and look forward to this great discussion. Thank you. Um, this is the fourth in a series of events that Cal Matters and the Milken Institute are co-hosting about the future of work. Uh, I am David Lesher. I'm the editor at Cal Matters. And for those of you who don't know us, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan, statewide news organization with a mission to raise public awareness about the major issues in California. So your host today, your uh, Cal Matters host, will be Lauren Hepler, who's the economy reporter at Cal Matters. She will introduce and speak with the four mayors who are assembled from throughout the state about the prospects and the challenges they are facing uh, in recovering their cities from the coronavirus and lockdowns and unemployment and business closure and, uh, and a new focus really on rebuilding with awareness about systemic racism. Uh, these are very challenging times as we all know and we can see even as the governor's announcement just an hour ago about further shutdowns that this is still continuing even as we speak with more restrictions. So we're honored to hear from a, a panel with such important jobs. Um, one last word about Cal Matters. We are committed to being a trusted source of information about all of these issues. We have a team of expert reporters around the state, all of our work appearing in the major newspapers and radio stations, as well as our own digital and podcast presentations at calmatters.org. So I'd encourage you to subscribe to our daily newsletter called What Matters? Uh, and to help support this free source of quality information by making a donation. Uh, so now I'm very happy to introduce Matt Horton, our co-host and the director of the Milken Cal Institute's California Center. Matt? Thanks, Dave. Um, as, as Dave mentioned, um, I'm Matt Horton, and I'm, I'm a director at the Milken Institute's California Center, and we are also a nonpartisan nonprofit, uh, but we're an economic policy think tank instead of a news organization. And we're really excited about partnering with Cal Matters to bring you this series of conversations, which aims to explore the opportunities that we can use to enhance equity 
uh, in our throughout our workforce development system and what the future of work will mean in a post-COVID uh, economic landscape. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic, as we all know, has only exacerbated uh, the underlying inequities um, across the state, exposing really the magnitude of differences among the different demographic groups and the economic safety net. Um, across the state, these consequences have had the greatest impact on our most vulnerable communities, affecting their abilities to meet basic needs, acquire protections, access opportunities, and work to achieve up upward mobility. Um, we think the keys to reviving the state's uh, past economic success um, also lies in cultivating a more inclusive economic recovery by increasing access to education, housing, and employment opportunities. As Dave mentioned, this series is exploring these strategies um, that, that leaders are using um, or designed towards enhancing these access points. And we're talking with leaders working to strengthen and promote a more equitable and long-term growth across the state. So um, again, we're really excited to be doing this and, and look forward to um, future installments, but I'd like to introduce uh, Lauren Hepler, the uh, economy reporter with uh, CalMatters, uh, who's gonna moderate the session and introduce the theme and our esteemed panelists. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt, and thank you everyone for taking the time to join us for this conversation about how cities are charting a path forward on jobs, development, and more during the unprecedented COVID-19 pandemic. I'm really excited about the panel we have today with mayors from around the state who are juggling this public health crisis along with major issues like homelessness, education, transportation, and sort of the next generation of economic opportunity in California. Joining us to discuss are Riverside Mail Rusty, Reverse, Sorry, Riverside Mayor Rusty Bailey. He's an independent who decided last year not to run for a third term as mayor, but to return to the not-profit world. Fresno Mayor-elect Jerry Dyer is a Republican who was the city's chief of police for 18 years and will take over from retiring Mayor Lee Brand in January. Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia is a Democrat who was first elected in 2014 and won re-election in 2018. He holds a few firsts in that position, the city's youngest mayor, the first elected openly LGBTQ mayor, and also Long Beach's first Latino mayor. Finally, we have Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, who was elected in 2014 during a period of rapid growth in the East Bay City and was re-elected again two years ago. She is also a Democrat. One quick programming note, I'll be asking questions for the first 30 to 40 minutes of our conversation, and then we are going to open it up to questions from the audience. So please do submit a question anytime using the chat feature at the bottom right hand corner of your screen. Just click Cal Matters host as the recipient and we'll get to as many of those as we can. Um, obviously, there's a lot happening right now, as I'm sure all of you can attest. And I wanted to start with you, Mayor-elect Dyer. Um, First of all, thank you for being with us, and I hope you're feeling better after what you've described as a roller coaster the last few weeks after testing positive for COVID-19 yourself. I'm curious, has your personal experience with the virus changed the way you're thinking about your priorities now for your first term in this really uncertain time? You know, I, I've been very much COVID conscious uh, throughout, but I do believe this uh, not only reaffirmed, but strengthened my belief how important it is for us to be um, extremely cautious and careful in, in terms of, um, you know, being considerate, wearing masks, all those things. So I think the answer is yes. Uh, as I go into office, uh, I'm, I'm going to have that personal experience to draw from, uh, recognizing how um, significant this virus is, and it is real, and it is something that's unpredictable. 
And I think it's going to help govern some of the decisions that I make uh, in office, but it, it will also help me to have a more balanced perspective in terms of decision making. But uh, I do not wish COVID-19 on anyone. Uh, it is uh, it's very, very impactful in terms of, uh, of a health issue. Great. And again, we're so glad you could join us today. Um, and Mayor Garcia, you've also spoken about the really devastating personal toll of losing family members to the virus. And given the grief that many individuals and communities are going through, I'm curious, what do you think about is the role that cities can play as opposed to the state or counties in dealing with the trauma and sort of charting a path forward for cities? Sure, I think first, uh, Mayor-elect uh, Dyer, good to see you and welcome uh, to, uh, to our, our, our mayor's larger family in the state. Thank um, you. I wanna, uh, want to just um, add, and I think that as mayors, we know this, um, cities are the front line of the COVID-19 crisis. We are doing the work every single day to ensure that people stay safe. And we are also uh, uh, the main vessels of communication, of fighting for, uh, for funding, and we're operating um, uh, testing centers. We're, we're partnering with, the, with, with our counties. We're making sure that uh, our nonprofits have access to PPE. Um, we are making sure that our public safety uh, personnel um, are safe, that people experiencing homelessness have a place to stay. So all of these issues um, are really critical uh, for us as, as mayors. You know, in Long Beach, we're, um, we're one of three cities that have, have our own health departments uh, in the state of California. And so we are uh, kind of in charge of our whole operation. So we run our testing centers. We uh, put up together our own health orders. Uh, we, of course, work with our LA County partners. Um, but cities are, are essentially who are keeping people safe every single day. And I think one thing that we've learned is how important uh, that uh, support, particularly at the federal level, is for us to do our jobs. And we're gonna need a lot more of that in the near future. Thank you, Mayor Garcia. And Mayor Schaff, I wanted to ask about sort of the timing of the pandemic. It's striking in Oakland because the city has been in a period of immense growth. Um, how much do you worry about this conversation about an urban exodus uh, happening in places like the Bay Area, where we've tended to see high rents in recent years, and sort of how much remote work or shifts in the workforce could undercut job centers like the Bay Area? Well, um, I was worried about an exodus from the Bay Area before COVID hit just because of the housing crisis. Uh, we have failed to produce enough affordable housing for our entire workforce. Uh, and, and COVID has complicated that, although some would say it's bringing rents down a little bit, which could be a positive. Um, although I also think that it is uh, somewhat of a false fear to think that, you know, more telecommuting could somehow kill cities. Uh, we've seen that cities are where innovation is, that talent is drawn to cities because of that exchange of ideas and innovation. And I do not think that is going away. And frankly, shame on us if we don't learn the lessons that COVID is teaching us. And that is how we can be more thoughtful about health 
uh, impacts of how we curate the public spaces. Uh, in Oakland, we've been very pleased with the rollout of our Slow Streets program, which was really a health intervention. It was to give people more spaces where they could exercise and, and get that mental health break of being outdoors in a safe, socially distant space because our parks were getting overcrowded. But what we've learned is that by, by doing that pivot, uh, there are ways that we as cities can better use the public space and certainly that is playing a huge role in trying to keep the the economy afloat as outdoor commerce having more farmers markets having outdoor dining has been some of the few ways that people have been able to safely support local businesses i think that kind of creativity oh and Get lessons learned is important it's, well, it's interesting that you say that about slow streets in particular, because we did get a few reader questions in advance and several people said, you know, for as crazy as this time has been, I really love some of the things that are happening with outdoor dining and things that in the past might have been kind of hard for cities to permit. So for Mayor Schaff or for other mayors, please jump in. Um, are, are you already thinking about ways some of these things could be extended into the future when hopefully we have a vaccine and, and people are more able to move freely about or how are you thinking about that? I mean, I would say yes, yes. Um, people are loving the slow streets and they want to keep them. Uh, and it's not going to be for every single community. Different communities are telling us different things. But, you know, I, through my um, position on MTC, uh, have recently been embroiled in this kind of controversy around mandating telecommuting. Um, now, we have kind of modified that. We've, we've created a, a more of a menu for companies to reduce the pollution and GHGs caused by the uh, actual commuting activity. Uh, but, you know, when, when you do surveys, people are, there's things about telecommuting that workers are actually liking, where we're seeing some aspects of increased productivity. So like I said before, shame on us if we don't learn the lessons that this pandemic is teaching us. Mayor, oh. Yeah, okay, I, I was, I was going to agree with, um, with the mayor. Uh, I actually think we're never going to go back to the way things were. I think um, particularly on the safe street side, on the parklets, and we have, I think in Long Beach right now, we have close to 300 parklet or parking lot restaurant spaces that are all across the city. Um, a lot of folks, I, uh, a lot of folks, and I'm hearing from restaurant owners have said, we have a whole new clientele of people that have never came for our restaurants before that are now dining outside. Now, obviously it hasn't been successful for everyone, but um, I don't think, I think we are looking at making, making many of these permanent, closing down a lot more streets to cars. Um, uh, so that piece is gonna be a different. I also wanna just say that I think the way we work will also be different within like government. I, I've realized, um, not that I enjoy being on Zoom meetings all the time, but I realize there's a lot of meetings and a lot of things that we could be doing through technology. Um, and I, I consider myself a pretty uh, kind of tech savvy person, um, use technology a lot, but I think it's gonna even make government even more efficient from a meeting perspective um, and, uh, and a way of linking people in a new way. Yes, we've lost some public interaction, some ability for the public to interact, but we've also gained the ability to have certain types of meetings or forums where, we've act, where more people are coming virtually. So, I think there's going to be some, some permanent changes that, that we're really excited about. 
I'll echo, I'll echo my fellow fellow mayors there and welcome Mayor Leck Dyer to this group. I, I probably could have talked to you out of running for mayor if I um, would have got you early enough, but now that you're in, good luck, brother. Thank um, you. Appreciate it. It's a great group. You'll, you'll meet with the big city mayors, I'm sure, in the next few weeks, and, and you're in good hands with with an incredible group of public servants and, and forward-thinking individuals like like Libby and, and Robert. Um, I'll echo those, those comments and say that, boy, it is, it is enjoyable to see more of our residents outside walking with their kids, riding bikes. I mean, the bike shops, I don't know if you all are having the same things in your cities, but the bike shops are sold out. And you can't get in for an appointment. To, I've had problems with my bike, and I, it's two-week wait to get my bike repaired. So there are some some great things occurring, and, I, and accelerating some of those shifts that should have happened in the past with the telework. I hope that we continue to shift this this parking um, space, um, I guess, paradigm that that should have been shifted long ago as well. And I mean, parking is. <laughs> all over our downtowns, surface parking, especially in my city at least, and we've shifted a little bit in the last five years to have mixed use development occur on, on several of those, but there's no reason to have parking anymore. And so to, to open up that space for developable property and property tax and um, jobs, what, what, that's, that's where we should be looking at our next innovative movement when it comes to uh, development and, and zoning and all those things that occur at the local level. I mean, we should, we should have businesses that have no parking. And, and I think that there'll, there'll be businesses that jump at the chance to be in some of those buildings to encourage their employees to take an Uber to work or to walk or bike or, you know, whatever it is someday, parachute, fly, squirrel, squirrel suit into on this, to the top of the, maybe not, that's going too far. <laughs> well, Mayor Bailey, I did want to, uh, I, I did want to ask you though, because Riverside, the geography is so interesting. Obviously, you've been seeing a lot of growth. You're in that proximity to LA, but city in your own respect. Has the conversation with potential business tenants or folks who might even just be considering moving on an individual level changed during the pandemic? Like just in terms of how people are thinking about where they're going to be living, working, what does that mean for? Yes, the numbers, the numbers prove that folks are looking for um, housing at uh, you know, away from Orange County, so to speak. That's our biggest market in terms of, of competition. We lose a lot of executives to Orange County. And so I think more and more now, it's proven that we, we've had an increase. I think we're number one in the state in terms of the housing market increasing uh, in terms of cost, which in some ways, you know, is good. In other ways, it's bad. Double-edged sword there. And, and you know, unlike Libby, I, I'm looking for a migration out of cities like Orange County and LA into into Riverside because because jobs will follow. Jobs will follow those executives that move to uh, places like Fresno and, and Riverside, Ada Long Beach and, and Oakland. So um, just a friendly competition there, but that's, that's something that we are looking at and looking to market to in terms of being more pro housing. So during this RENA cycle, regional housing needs assessment, eight year cycle that we have in our housing element coming forward, we're looking at building up, we're looking at building um, serious, you know, 20 story residential complexes, whether apartment or for sale in downtown, close to Metrolink station. Um, a lot of people don't realize that R Riverside, Southern California has the most Metrolink stations of any city in, in the Metrolink system. And that's because, as you mentioned, we're right in the middle of things. 
so, so we're ready for growth and we're, we're going to build up and it's going to be downtown. So it's going to be more urban. Um, and, and I think that hopefully people are ready for that. Well, Mayor-elect Dyer, it's an interesting parallel in Fresno. You were talking before we jumped on about um, the demand you're also seeing in Fresno for housing in particular, and obviously construction has been underway on high-speed rail. Can you talk about um, sort of what some of your priorities are in terms of maybe trying to channel some of that growth or where you see the opportunities being? Yeah, certainly. Uh, what we've seen in the last two years in Fresno is that our availability of housing has decreased by 50%. Uh, already and we know that in talking with some local developers uh, when they get uh, website inquiries uh, from people out of town uh, the number one inquiry that we're seeing is from the bay area uh, specifically san francisco uh, people wanting to relocate to fresno and i think much of it has to do uh, with the fact that uh, do they want to telework from an 800 square foot um, studio apartment uh, or do they want to come to Fresno and live in a 2,800 square foot home for uh, half that price and be able to, to um, not only work from home, but to not spend time on the freeways, to have an uh, enhanced quality of life. Uh, all of those things, I think, is what people are looking for now. And even for those individuals that are going to return to the work environment, I know you know, what I've heard from the corporate world is that when they first um, experimented with telework, they were finding that the, they, um, it was still very, very efficient for them, but that as productivity or as demand increased, productivity did not. And so what they found was they didn't have that necessarily that synergy uh, of people working together in that office environment. So I, I do believe that even when people maybe aren't teleworking, but they go back into that office environment. Uh, we're gonna see more office hubs throughout California uh, where there's maybe 50 to 100 uh, in an office. And I think uh, Fresno's position for that, we have the uh, not just available land, but uh, the affordability of that land. And that's gonna be a big draw. So yes, we are definitely going to um, capitalize on that. Uh, I anticipate our downtown housing is going to um, double, if not triple. Uh, mm -hmm. And we know that to be true. The level of interest that we've had from developers, investors, uh, venture capitalists in our downtown area has been um, incredible over the last few months that I've met with. So I think that's where we're gonna see the, the, uh, the townhouses, uh, the lofts, all those things uh, increase in Fresno. Half of our population already in Fresno is under the age of 35. And that seems to be where the majority of those individuals wish to live. Right. So a wide range of things going on. And Mayor Schaff, I mean, you've been steering this in Oakland. You've seen the office boom. You've seen the dense new housing developments downtown. Um, and as you alluded to with concerns about high cost of housing, Oakland is one of the big cities where housing activists are also warning about a coming wave of evictions and uh, concerns about homelessness increasing. What do you see as the city's role in bracing for this type of fallout or mitigating it um, and trying to retain workers, the broad cross-section of workers who live in the city? 
Yeah, Oakland is proud that we've been like kind of the last place in the Bay Area that still does have an appreciable number of blue collar jobs. Uh, our port, uh, I know Long Beach, we share this. Um, our port workers are such an important part of our community. Uh, we, we have also seen a huge amount of single family home sales in Oakland. A lot of people choosing to move into Oakland during the pandemic. Um, but so far, you know, knock on wood, kind of the new office tenants, the different companies that are moving into Oakland um, for, for kind of headquarters, that is still happening. Uh, we have not seen the, the one deal that fell apart. Um, I don't think it was COVID related. It, it happened after the death of Bernard Tyson, uh, a consolidation of Kaiser Permanente offices into a single building in Oakland. That That is the only um, uh, <laughs> casualty that we've seen so far. Um, what, but I, I believe that cities are still going to be where people want to be. Uh, the homelessness crisis is absolutely something that we were, it was at a crisis level before COVID. Uh, and, and I think all of us are holding our breath that when this eviction moratorium is over, we, we could have homelessness Armageddon uh, to, to figure out creative ways for us to do rent relief. Uh, is, is of the highest importance. Now, Oakland wrote one of the most aggressive eviction moratoriums in the state. And our moratorium will be in place as long as we have declared a local state of emergency. So we can buy ourselves time, but the rent is still owed. And I think there are some creative ideas uh, I know that have come out of the governor's task force, one involving property assessed um, loans. So in other words, to basically take a loan out on the value of the property, uh, put it on the, the taxes for 30 years uh, to, to specifically allow that to provide rent relief for tenants. Uh, we also have used some of our CARES Act dollars to help small businesses and residential tenants try and renegotiate their, their leases uh, for partial payments or extended payments over time. This is a kind of work where um, certainly a new federal government could be very helpful. And certainly many uh, of us mayors, uh, I'm, I'm part of something called CE Mayors and CEOs for US Housing Investment. And we are calling on uh, the president to potentially declare a state of emergency with regard to unsheltered homelessness to actually help us access FEMA dollars and really address this like the crisis that it is. Uh, lastly, I just wanna commend the state of California and the governor for making funds available to take some of the hotels and other buildings that we have used with FEMA funding to temporarily house or shelter some of our most vulnerable homeless individuals and to convert that existing building stock into permanently affordable housing for the formerly homeless. Uh, this idea of converting existing building stock is something I have always been a fan of even before this crisis, um, but that's the kind of thing that we have to do as Californians to actually respond at the speed and to the magnitude that this crisis calls for.
Mm -hmm. Some interesting interventions to think about there in terms of rent. Um, Mayor Garcia, obviously we could all talk about housing all day, I'm sure, but I did want to ask you about a couple of sort of related items when it comes to thinking about the development trajectory for cities in California. And I know uh, your background is education and there've been a lot of questions about how higher ed in particular is going to fare with state budget turmoil, enrollment that has fluctuated during the pandemic. What do you see as some of the ways community colleges, universities could play a role in this conversation about economic recovery? Yeah, I mean, listen, we could talk about the, the education to our higher institutions uh, uh, all, all day. Um, and it's a topic that I really love. I, I, I think a few things you've got to be we've got to be prepared for. I think whenever you have, as we all are prepared, as we all know, when you have these kind of economic downturns on high unemployment, you also oftentimes see a lot of folks go back into the community college or go back to get retraining uh, within our higher ed systems. And so I think the community college system is really well positioned and we have an excellent chancellor right now in the system uh, and some great community colleges across across the state. Uh, they're well positioned to help retrain folks. And what I'm hearing from a lot of, pre of presidents at the college, community college level is this whole, whole post COVID um, uh, idea of how some of our classes are even um, rethought and reimagined so that people are able to work in this new um, future, which is gonna be very different and where technology and access to uh, virtual learning is, is is more real. We know that the Cal State system, um, and I think this is really important, uh, the Cal State system is the largest public university system um, in the United States. Uh, uh, campus is all up and down the state, and then we have our community college system with about 100, and, what, now 104, 105 community colleges. Uh, they've made a, a, a pretty significant effort to keep campus closed, and for all intents and purposes, they're gonna remain closed this spring. Uh, and so what's happening from a virtual learning shift is, is incredible. And I think a faculty, I'm, I'm married to, to a Cal State Long Beach a, a professor, um, faculty are having also to relearn the way that they teach and the way they interact with students. And students are having to learn the way that, re relearn the way that they learn. Uh, I don't think the university system will ever be the same. I think that you're gonna see a lot more virtual learning. You're gonna see uh, a higher ed transition to a virtual or hybrid um, you know, system in, in some cases. And so all of the hybrid uh, virtual stuff will accelerate within the Cal State and Community College system and UC system, I think, I think as well. Um, that will also, if done correctly, uh, and, and if we think about an equity lens, there's an opportunity for the state to really broaden our reach and actually get to more students that may not have access to the university or the community college system. So I'm very supportive of that. Our, our faculty have got to be involved in those conversations, of course. Um, but I think, I think just like business is being shaken up, I think higher ed in particular uh, is, going, is going to change. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about how universities are adapting. We're also starting to get some questions I see about retraining more broadly in the workforce, which I wanted to ask you about, Mayor Bailey, um, because I know your, your own story is interesting coming out of the military, getting into politics, and now we know that you're leaving office at the end of your term. And given that we're at this moment where unemployment is still high, um, around 11% statewide, what has your own experience taught you about sort of continuing education and getting people into sort of longer term sustainable opportunities? Oh, it's a must, you know, we got to continue to encourage um, all of our, our students to continue their education. And so habit access and an opportunity there is essential to increasing our standard of living and quality of life in, in California. So, you know, I can't, I can't beat, beat out anything that Garcia, you know, just mentioned. 
Um, you know, he's he's the, the he's the the big city mayor with the foremost experience when it comes to, to higher education. So I'll, I'll listen to him and and go in that direction. Um, you know, we've got UCR, we've got University of California Riverside. In, in Riverside, we're blessed by that. It's a huge economic development generator, and it's not generating as much as it it has in the past. It's it's building another 5,000 housing units for students. Um, maybe they'll be able to accelerate that construction uh, during this time to get them in next year, and so maybe there is a benefit of them not being on campus right now. Um, one of the things that that in terms of housing that we're not getting a benefit for, though, that we should look at it in terms of a policy and something, um, I can't remember if I talked about to the big city mayors about it, but student housing doesn't qualify as, as um, uh, affordable housing. And, and so then we don't, get the, we don't get the numbers that we should in the regional housing needs assessment when you have colleges or universities in your city, you know, there, there are impacts. They have cars and, and um, you know, there, so there are some, what you can call it negative impacts to, to I think students, if, you if you're in the, in the neighborhoods where the parties occur as well, um, there's, there's specific acute issues that we have to address when we're uh, in, the, in the college neighborhoods. And, uh, and yet, you know, we don't get, we do get an economic development benefit from that, but in terms of, of our housing numbers, for example, this next arena cycle, we're tasked with zoning for 18,000 housing units. That's six times more than we've done in any other eight year cycle. So it's mission impossible for, for us in Southern California to uh, get, get to a point of um, achieving what the state has given us in terms of those housing numbers. But it would help out, you know, 5,000 housing units uh, going up on UCR's campus that we could count towards our, our, our numbers for arena would, would huge, a huge assistance there. So those are some specific things from Riverside and, and, and with a town and gown relationship with the UC um, connected to it that, that we go through. Yeah, student housing, a big issue in lots of different parts of the states. And Mayor-elect Dyer, I wanted to ask you a bit um, about just sort of the workforce picture in Fresno, because you mentioned that having a high unemployment rate in some ways does create a lot of opportunity, sort of counterintuitively. Can you elaborate on that and sort of where in Fresno you plan to focus your efforts on that front? Well, there's been a continued uh, increase or continued interest in manufacturing in Fresno. Uh, as I said earlier, we have uh, a lot of available land for manufacturing. The challenge that we face sometimes is how we balance the environmental concerns with groups and the neighborhood impact with bringing in uh, that light industry. Uh, but uh, there is certainly a, a significant interest from folks wanting to relocate to Fresno, uh, especially from Southern California in terms of, of manufacturing. Uh, you know, we have an ecosystem in Fresno that I think is uh, very unique. And, and, and so uh, it centers around a lot of it has to do with agribusiness. Um, but we're also going beyond that. And so um, I do believe the fact that, you know, as I understand it, corporations are looking for uh, a quality of, of, of life for their employees or they're looking for um, a safe environment. They're looking for a, a business climate within city government that accelerates their projects, but they're also looking for an available workforce. And uh, unfortunately, we have a high unemployment rate in Fresno, uh, but that it translates into an available workforce 
Uh, and what's important for us is to make sure we are working with our community colleges, our trade schools, uh, to upskill people, to uh, reskill people, um, and to make sure that they are ready to go for those manufacturing jobs. Um, and not, not just the, uh, the, the manufacturing jobs that oftentimes become, um, you know, good opportunity jobs, uh, but not good paying jobs. But I do believe that we have an opportunity in Fresno as well in healthcare. Uh, and so we're going to have to make sure that we're um, working with a university uh, to, uh, to have the necessary skill set for our workforce. So, yes, a, a high unemployment rate, as I've been told here recently by uh, a, a company that decided to move to Fresno in lieu of another city because that city had very low uh, unemployment numbers. And so it worked to our, uh, worked to our uh, benefit. Mm, yeah, that's fascinating. And we're getting a ton of audience questions. Please do keep them coming. But I wanted to raise one last topic um, with both you, Mayor Schaff, and Mayor Garcia. Um, universal basic income is another sort of phrase that um, has been getting more attention. We have pilot projects now going on in multiple cities in California. How are you both thinking about sort of how, how that type of policy approach could be paired with these broader questions about workforce development and training? Maybe we'll start with you, Mayor Garcia, given the, the work the city's done there. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan. And I, I, think, it's, uh, uh, I think it's the future. Um, I think as income inequality gets worse, and I think as automation and technology changes uh, the workplace, I think that we have to look at guaranteed income um, and direct uh, payments to folks, to tr particularly as a bridge to wherever this future is going with the economy. I've got to give a lot of credit uh, to uh, Michael Tubbs, who's one of our um, mayor partners, who's really led a great coalition on guaranteed income. Obviously, Andrew Yang is across the country, obviously promoting universal basic income as well. So in Long Beach, we have um, we've got two pilot programs going. The first was something that a lot of cities have done, which is we've created a program to help tenants bridge the rent. Uh, it's $1,000 a month. Uh, over three months, uh, about 1,500 families that's targeted um, uh, for a few months. We, we're now doing a new program for six months, $500 a month to artists or cultural workers that are out of work and, and can't perform in theaters and bars and, and locations. And we're kind of learning from those because our plan is in 2021, we're part of a guaranteed income coalition of cities where we're going to launch a, a, a pretty large uh, UBI a pilot program uh, next year that's going to be citywide that is going to be, I mean, hopefully um, uh, something that we can then kind of look and compare and contrast at other pilots across the country and, and really come up with something that really works and learn from them. We're just, we're trying to figure this out too. This is, this is something that is um, new for, for, for cities. And then once those pilots um, have been put out there, we're going to learn and then hopefully go to Congress and really present these um, as, a, as an opportunity for Congress to really step in and provide some consistent direct income, um, whether it's through a pilot program or whether it's through an extension of what they tried to do in the last CARES Act, which is going to give those direct, that direct relief. That needs to be happening every month with this crisis, not just once. So I, I'm excited about it. I'm a big supporter. Yeah, and, and Mayor Schaff, I would love to get your take on sort of where Oakland might be going with the idea of universal basic income. And to add to that also, 
Oakland was the city where I've been interviewing a lot of Uber, Lyft, DoorDash drivers in the run-up to the November election on the conversation of how gig workers should be compensated in the state. So I'm just curious, given that we have these sort of dual threads happening in the state, a lot of interest in guaranteed income, but also a lot of questions about what should the floor be for different types of work. How do you think about sort of connecting those dots and what that ultimately means for getting people livelihoods that will allow them to make ends meet in California? Well, um, and I just want to distinguish between UBI and guaranteed income. They are slightly different and we are, we are mayors for a guaranteed income. So it is needs tested. But I think this idea that we're kind of moving away from employment ins unemployment insurance versus income insurance is another way to think about this evolution that is now being explored by cities. And, and I think there is a relationship between the Prop 22 fight and kind of a movement towards income security versus employment security. Um, I was opposed to Prop 22. I just want to be clear about that. But certainly the, the message about worker choice and freedom was one that did carry the day in California. And I do think that this idea of, of um, recognizing that work can, or income can come from various sources that are not just an employee employment relationship uh, is part of the evolution of the future of work. And so when we in government think about the systems to secure people, uh, we need to evolve our thinking as well. Uh, I am very excited. Um, stay tuned. Oakland is going to have some big announcements pretty soon. Today, we actually announced a small pilot using, uh, using guaranteed income for our uh, new teachers uh, in hard to hire subjects. So we're actually experimenting with some guaranteed income for teacher residents and first and second year teachers, particularly teachers of color in uh, STEM subjects, as well as special, special education, which is where we've had a really hard time securing and retaining those teachers. Um, but I, I think it's an idea that's time has come. Uh, and it's, I think it is also a bipartisan idea. And I'd be curious to hear from um, my Republican and independent um, members of the panel, because government does not need to have, you know, it's 31st program. Uh, people's needs are complex. Uh, and they do all boil down to money. And um, I'll give one brief uh, story. We in Oakland piloted a couple years ago called Keep Oakland House to prevent homelessness before it happens. And again, it's, it's legal support, it's case management, but it's also a one-time unconditional cash payment. And the story I always share is of a family that uh, had a developmentally disabled adult who was the sole breadwinner, and he was taking care of his very elderly mother, uh, and, and he was losing income because he was getting suspended from his employment, from his wage. And it turned out that this was because their washing machine had broken. And because he was developmentally disabled, he was unable to navigate a public laundromat. So not only did we pay back all the rent owed and the utilities owed, owed, but we bought the family a washing machine. And now he is stably employed, their income is sufficient to maintain their housing, market rate housing, and all is good. Uh, government does not have a washing machine replacement program, nor should we create one. Uh, I think we need to give people the dignity 
of just getting cash and recognizing what their needs are. And this could be very efficient as well as nimble as the nature of work changes. Uh, this is a much more nimble model. So um, I'm a big fan. I'm excited to see what we're going to learn in our partnership and also just huge gratitude to Mayor Michael Tubbs, um, who has been an amazing leader uh, amongst mayors. And um, I think some of us are a little stunned about his, his election results. Yeah, well, and I mean, what about that Mayor-elect Dyer or Mayor Bailey? What are your thoughts on this whole idea of guaranteed income, more cash assistance to folks as we talk about uh, spurring an economic recovery? Well, I, I think uh, it's one thing to have economic development, but what we have to strive for is inclusive economic development in our cities. I think historically, at least in Fresno, um, when we recruit businesses or corporations into Fresno, uh, we're measuring how many jobs that are being created. We're measuring the return on investment in terms of taxes to the, the city or county government. Uh, but I, I believe that's all changed. And we need a new scorecard. And that scorecard has to say, uh, not only bringing in the right corporations to our city, um, they're the right fit, but they're hiring the right people that we designate, that they're uh, being hired from the right neighborhoods, uh, they're people of color, they're people that are, have been uh, traditionally in this uh, poverty-stricken state, and uh, that they're paid the right salaries. So I, I believe those are all the things that we have to negotiate when we bring in new business to our area. And so um, that is what's going to be, I think, in the long term, uh, give us an opportunity to lift people out of poverty. Uh, I do believe it should be dependent, though, upon the geographical area uh, within the state, because we know for a fact in the Valley, it's much more affordable than it is in the Bay Area or Southern California. So I don't think we can have anything that's universal on a statewide basis. Uh, but I do believe we have to be much more intentional about making sure that people are being paid a much higher dollar amount so that we're not just creating opportunity jobs, but we're creating good jobs for people. Um, and the other thing I, I believe is important is first-time homeownership. You know, when we talk about the, the wealth gap in America, um, two-thirds of all wealth is determined by real estate. And we know that there have been certain individuals left behind who've not had an opportunity to own their own home. And home ownership is what is going to lessen that wealth gap. And uh, we have to, I would much rather us work with our housing authority and some of our, um, uh, some of the programs that we have in the city uh, to make sure that we're giving people an opportunity to own their own home. Uh, instead of subsidizing rent for, for five years, that those dollars get utilized for down payments so that people can actually own their home, build equity in their home, uh, and that they have a stabilized mortgage for 30 years. So it's not just what they're being paid. I think it's what they're, uh, they're saving and uh, what they're able to, um, to do in terms of housing. I agree with my colleagues and, and appreciate the targeted approach for guaranteed, guaranteed income. I think that's really novel idea in terms of, of teachers and every, every city is going to have a different um, target and, and need. And, you know, for us, uh, I didn't, you, you kind of um, inferred it earlier, but our, one of our challenges is keeping our talent local. So we graduate uh, 5,000, you know, four-year college degrees every year between California Baptist University, 
UC Riverside, Lasso University, and then Community College. And, you know, that we lose them to Orange County, LA, San Diego. Um, so that's where I would see a potential of uh, targeting a guaranteed income for them to stay here in Riverside, forgive their loans or go, you know, go towards, um, you know, a house or, or, or that kind of thing for graduate students. Um, and then we have, we're blessed with our own utility. And so we do uh, subsidize low income residents through a one-time utility assistance each year. But that's something we have also done through economic development and, and with uh, certain employers targeted high energy users, plastics companies, recycling companies, high, high water users, so food processing. And we've done that in the past where we have um, de de we've, we've given them a, a lower rate uh, for the utilities for a couple of years as they, as they um, you know, come to Riverside um, or build or you know, um, expand in Riverside. So those those are those are my thoughts um, directly on that on that topic. Uh huh. And when it comes to uh, Mayor Elect Dyer, when you mentioned sort of this idea of maybe thinking in a more targeted way about what types of jobs are coming to cities, what the income will be, and maybe who is offered those opportunities, how does that work logistically? Are you talking about something like a community benefits agreement, or how does that sort of play out? Yeah, any any time a, a business is brought in or recruited into your city, uh, you know, I think uh, we have an opportunity at the onset to make sure that they're checking the right boxes for us. Uh, I, I think in Fresno, we're uniquely situate, situated in the, the heart of 40 million people. Uh, and we have available land, affordable land. And so that we're put in a position to where we can perhaps negotiate with individuals to make sure that they're doing the things that, uh, that are going to meet our needs. And, you know, my appeal is to um, the altruistic uh, appeal to people is that when you uh, in Fresno is number two in poverty in the state of California, if people really want to make a difference in our community and leave a lasting legacy with their company, uh, then it's my hope that they would want to lift people out of poverty by uh, paying them more money. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is important that we bring in the, the Amazons and the Ultas, the distribution centers. We have those in Fresno. Uh, they have good opportunity jobs. They, they uh, good health benefits. They um, pay for um, education and so forth. Uh, but we, not, we need to make sure that people are being paid above that. Uh, and in, in Fresno, it, it really doesn't take much uh, you know, to, to be, to have a good livable wage. Uh, we're, it's certainly much lower than it would be in the Bay Area or Southern California. So we just have to make sure that that's on, uh, on the table at the onset when we're negotiating with these businesses and uh, again, appeal to their altruism and, and, uh, you know, it's not what they can come and take out of a city. It's how can they impact the city in a very, very positive way. And that's, that's what we're going to be doing in Fresno. So who we recruit is uh, got to be the right fit, uh, hiring the right people for the right pay. Mm -hmm. 
And we've, like I said, we've gotten a ton of audience questions. Thank you for that. And I wanted to jump to a few of them now. Um, this one is for everyone, really, I believe. Um, what are the cities doing to address the inequity of COVID-19 on working class essential workers? Are there new workforce training programs that cities are pursuing with community partners? Would anyone like to jump in on that question from Jacqueline? I'll jump, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, the answer to that is yes. I think that there's, you know, there's, there's things that cities can do. And then of course we're limited by how much support we're getting, of course, from the federal government and, and other places. Um, I think that what a lot of cities are doing right now is they're using federal resources uh, to really inject back into small businesses, the economy, workforce training. We have our, all of our nonprofits kind of rethinking the way that they help retrain folks that are particularly of lower income, there's tenant assistance programs that are, that are out there. Uh, we have a lot of groups that do a lot of um, outreach to, you know, monolingual Spanish speakers or our Cambodian community, Khmer speakers, doing targeted workforce uh, development work there as well. And so I think that's happening. But the broader issue there is that cities have not yet received enough adequate funding from the federal government and Congress uh, to uh, shore up our local economy and our workers. And there have been talk about the HEROES Act now for uh, for many months. The first CARES Act was, uh, was, was, was great and very supportive for the work that we're all doing as mayors, but it's an absolute shame and disgrace that, that there's not been a more robust national plan uh, for workers, for direct payments, and for cities to prop up the economy. So I'm hopeful that something will pass uh, in this kind of lame duck session. But whatever is done, it, I hope that the Biden administration um, really takes a stronger look and puts something forward that's robust. I'll chime in also. Um, we stood up immediately a COVID-19 racial disparities task force in partnership with um, a health foundation, Kaiser, uh, our county, uh, our state legislator. And we, we both did some immediate interventions to try and lessen those disparities in real time, as well as really focus on what are the lessons that we've learned and what are some of the policy changes that need to be enacted so that the next pandemic does not have the predictable, the predictable impact of just worsening racial and economic disparities. Um, and I will point to some, um, I, th I think particularly in testing, uh, we, we raised a lot of access issues with the Verily platform that the state of California originally was using. And our concerns were actually heard and both the state and Verily has started to address some of the issues that we raised early on because we found um, aspects of the platform to really uh, be a barrier for the people who needed testing the most. Um, the other thing that we've really found is you, you do measure, you manage what you measure, and that more um, mandates to collect richer data about what types of populations are being impacted. Um, not just race, but worker class. We certainly are seeing certain types of workers seem to be um, much more uh, get, getting sick a lot more often. And if there's a disappointment that I've had as a mayor is um, the enforcement for workforce safety standards uh, has been very um, kind of opaque. And, and that is something that I think we could have had and still have an opportunity to have um, much better partnerships between local people that know employers, that know the, um, 
the, the landscape and, and I want to commend, I think Los Angeles has been working on creating worker councils that actually help do some of the reconnaissance to ensure compliance with health standards. Um, I wanna say like while we were talking, I got the text message, Oakland, uh, our county just went from orange to purple, orange to purple, the, almost the entire state of California now uh, is, is in a horrific state with, with this current surge of cases. And it, it could not be more serious. But the impact on certain populations has been tremendous. There are things that we're learning and I wanna commend the state for having an equity measurement. That is part of what they're tracking for each and every county is how, how, how much equity is, is happening. Uh, and so I think that continued um, policy as well as the, the need to have the data so that we can respond to it are two very important policy changes. <coughs> Well, yeah. So, Mayor Schaff, you mentioned that this is very much something that we're working through right now. The announcements this week of, of more closures, more counties going back into that purple tier. We've gotten several questions about what that means for city finances um, and especially how cities are thinking about revenue to address COVID and other related issues. Um, Mayor-elect Dyer or Mayor Bailey, is that something either of you want to jump in on? Well, there, there's no question there's been a disparate impact on people of color as a result of COVID, uh, but also a disparate impact on businesses. The, the mom and pop businesses that uh, either have not been allowed to remain open uh, or um, for whatever reason have been impacted more so than others. Uh, from a, a city financial perspective, what we have found, we did not anticipate the impact in terms of sales tax revenue that we would be receiving from big box, uh, the Costco's and the Walmart's and how they have, um, they're the big winners in COVID, uh, quite frankly, uh, because a lot of people, uh, they're gonna get food somewhere and that's where we, as a, as a state, opened up the doors for those big box stores. Unfortunately, uh, the mom and pops, many of the restaurants have, um, have been impacted and you know, I anticipate 30 to 40% of our restaurants in Fresno will never open again. And uh, the vast majority of those are owned uh, by people of color. And so, you know, we, we utilize our CARES money not only to do certainly the mobile testing sites in uh, disadvantaged neighborhoods. Uh, we also use it for rent relief uh, for individuals um, and then uh, food distribution because it was amazing uh, how long the lines were for people in Fresno that needed food. Uh, people that had never ever um, stood in a food line in their life were standing in, in line for two and three hours in order to get food. So we know what the impact has been. And um, the, the simple fact is, I think I, I agree with all of you in the fact that the federal monies, it's a, it's a shame that they cannot come to an agreement and to deliver the monies that we need so desperately here locally. And we just have to continue to beat that drum. So um, it's unfortunate what we're seeing. And now with this latest news, we know it's even gonna have a, a, a greater impact on us, not just city government, but everybody else um, out there in our communities, especially people of color. 
Well, thank you all for taking the time to talk it through. I know um, these are big issues, housing, workforce development, uh, city finances that we're going to continue to talk about. And I hope we can reconvene when we get to the phase of talking about rolling out vaccines to the state of California. Um, but thank you all so much for joining us. And everyone, please be sure to check back regularly, calmatters.org. We're following all of these issues. And please tune in for a future event. Thank you so much and have a good end of your week.